0: Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me are my co-hosts, Andy. Hello. (laughs) Andy is barely with us this week. And Sam. Hello. We're also joined by Jarrett of the Wild Pretty Things podcast.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: So happy to have you with us today. This week... Sam is a dead ringer for love, Andy scrolls and scrolls and scrolls, Jarrett records a podcast about a show based on a podcast about recording a podcast, and I start to sit down and shut up. I mean, that's... The, you and can't, I
2: finally go to high school. <laughs> and finally would go to be, high school. Would be your line.
0: Yeah. First off, we're going to talk about meatloaf, a food that I really enjoy.
2: That's That's... You know...
0: Is it just meatloaf, or are we talking about mashed potatoes too? Tessa, and maybe some green beans. You know,
2: I expect this from Andy.
0: <laughs> Andy is having not voice not problems this week, so I have to step in.
2: Uh-huh. I'm I'm basically like
3: Tessa is my avatar this week, a Tessa tar, if you will.
2: I don't like that.
0: It's nice. I don't know. It's not. <laughs> I get to be. I don't don't like this at all. I get to be the unrestrained id of this podcast.
2: Oh, I don't. I, I, y'all three are on your own. I'm going to leave.
0: So you like meatloaf. Why and how?
2: (laughs) So being a person of a certain age. And what age is that? Well, let's see. In 1993, I was. Is this right? Yeah. Depending on what part of nineteen ninety three you're talking about, I was either in eighth grade or ninth grade. So you can do that math on your own. Nineteen ninety three is the year that Bat Out of Hell Two came out. I had no idea who Meatloaf was prior to that. I had not seen Rocky Horror Picture Show yet. So you were
0: like twelve.
2: Well, Yeah, but most of my friends apparently had seen it, which I found out a couple of years later when we watched it at school. At school.
0: What kind of school did you go to? (laughs) Yeah, this is a
2: different conversation for later. But so my first introduction to Meatloaf was the video for I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. So. Wow. Wow. Right. How could you not like Meatloaf if that's your first introduction? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why.
0: Now, Jarrett, are you a fan of Meatloaf, an anti-fan of Meatloaf? What's your experience with
1: Meatloaf? Well, I will say Hot Patootie is my favorite Rocky Horror song, and I I think I saw uh, it around the same age that Sam did, maybe a little later, like randomly on cable or something. I'm not sure. Anyways, I'm digressing, but uh, yeah, otherwise I'm kind of whatever
0: that's kind of how i feel but i don't have any like nostalgia for meatloaf either because i didn't see rocky horror until i was in my 20s
2: yeah so i mean i love this album bad out of hell too i got it my dad and this is funny for tessa who knows my dad is like oh meatloaf is like you know, this is going to be an experience for you. He doesn't like meatloaf, but he automatically knew this would be something I would like.
0: It's nice to know that your dad thinks about things that way. His younger
2: brother likes meatloaf.
0: So you must like meatloaf. Yeah, so I I did. I understand. I understand. So
2: this was, you know, when I went to Japan a couple of years later, I had, you know, this is before the internet. So obviously before music streaming. So I had three case logic cases, you know, 12 CDs each. And this one made the cut. I've listened to it over and over and over again. It was actually years before I went back and heard the first Bat Out of Hell. I bought Bat Out of Hell 3 on release day, which, so just to back up really, really quickly, okay, I'll give you the rundown really fast. By the way, that is not his given name. Meatloaf's given name is Michael Lee a day. I'm shocked.
0: I am shocked that Meatloaf is not his given name.
1: (laughs) Michael
2: Lee a day. So the Bad Out of Hell trilogy, right? So the first one comes out in 77. I love this. We're going to talk about Jim Steinman in a minute. Bad Out of Hell is largely based on a musical, a, a musical that never happened called Neverland.
0: Like a Peter and Wendy yeah, situation? Uh, Peter
2: Pan. That's right. Peter, Pan, Adult Peter Pan is what Neverland was going to be.
0: Isn't that not Peter Pan anymore?
2: Well, yeah. Be quiet. You're, you're, <laughs> you're doing it again. I believe it's called Hook. Right. So Meatloaf is the voice. Jim Steinman is the words. Big chunks of Bad Out of Hell, one, were produced by Todd Ruddengren, who is also super fun. Uh, Jimmy Iovine and Phil Rizzuto. Iavine does some producing. Rizzuto does that voice on Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Bad Out of Hell 2 comes out what 16 years later? Steinman and Rundgren are back. There's a bunch of good stuff that comes out of that album. I did not realize this, but Tessa, objects in the rearview mirror is a pathetic fallacy. It is, it is Jim Steinman doing. Romantic stuff, right? right? Because it's based around the seasons. Yeah. So anyway, that's fun. Bad Out of Hell 3 comes out 13 years later after Meatloaf and Steinman have settled a lawsuit. Because they do not get along except for when they do. There are some Steinman songs on the album. He is not. Steinman's not a part of the album. Desmond Child produces it instead. So basically, Bad Out of Hell 3 is unfortunately new metal. It is missing from streaming. It is difficult to find, just like on a streaming service. You can hear it on YouTube. Rundgren felt like it was important, more important to be involved than not, so he was there for part of it. The most notable thing about Bad Out of Hell 3 is when Meatloaf takes It's All Coming Back to Me Now, the Celine Dion song that you might be familiar with, and turns it into a duet, which is great. Other than that, you could probably not. So I think really depending on who you talk to, I think most people would say "Bad Out of Hell 1 or "Bad Out of Hell 2 are their favorites.
0: You mentioned Jim Steinman a couple of times there, and I know you well enough to know that every time you talk about Meatloaf, you have to talk about Jim Steinman. It's true. All I really know about Jim Steinman is two things. He almost wrote the lyrics for Phantom of the Opera, which would yep. have been amazing. Yep. And two, I know that... Total Eclipse of the Heart was originally envisioned as a song for a vampire musical. And I
2: will tell you more about both of those things.
0: Which sounds awesome. But why don't why don't you go ahead? Tell us about Jim Steinman and his relationship with Meatloaf.
2: So Jim Steinman, fun dude. He wrote
0: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I I don't know. I I just okay. So for a student project. He wrote an adaptation of Ball by Bertolt Brecht, a musical version of it. This project involves the lyric, Turn Around Bright Eyes. All right. Okay. So A reference to Conroe Burst, clearly. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Steinman is also a time traveler, <laughs> which, I mean, if you told me was real, I would believe you.
0: Of all the people you could because say that of about. of all
2: the people. Yeah. That's right. You know, he, he this is a guy who writes musicals. He's a musical theater person. This is this is who he is. When he hooks up with Meatloaf and adapts Neverland into Bat Out of Hell, that's when we get, you know, rock and roll history. But I know Jim Steinman most because of Total Eclipse of the Heart, which does, of course, incorporate Turnaround Bright Eyes. This was originally called, Total Eclipse was originally called Vampires in Love. It was written for a musical adaptation of Nosferatu. (laughs) Instead, it was recorded by Bonnie Tyler and became a huge hit. He also wrote Making Love Out of Nothing at All for Air Supply. And uh, Celine Dion covers his song, It's All Coming Back to Me Now. Andrew Lloyd Webber meets Jim Steinman in the 80s, right before Phantom of the Opera. So he... You know, kind of asks Jim if he wants to, you know, take a swing at the book for it or the lyrics of the book. And he you know, passes. We could have had Jim's diamond doing Phantom. We could
0: have. We could have. They
2: did eventually work together on a show called Whistle Down the Wind. The, another musical that he wrote, uh, Dance of the Vampires, is based on uh, The Fearless Vampire Killers, which is a Polanski film, early Polanski film. So this is how we get the, the vampire lore and nearly phantom and all that stuff. But this is a dude who is clearly the most dramatic person you'll ever meet. And then he wrote rock and roll music and had Meatloaf sing it. And I don't know if you don't like this. I don't understand how to communicate with you as a person.
0: <laughs> it's That's, a core part of your personality. It
2: is, I mean, it is. It, it's for somebody who doesn't really like musical theater, but loves the idea of it. This is perfect.
0: So which album are you doing for us today?
2: Oh, you want me to talk about the monkey today?
0: Yes. Okay.
2: So (laughs) I'm actually here today to talk about uh, one of their other collaborations, Jim Diamond and Meatloaf, which is the album 1981's Dead Ringer.
0: Okay. And you had never heard this album before. This is a true monkey for you. I
2: never heard this album. Why? There are three good reasons for this. Normally, I have two. Today, I have three. First good reason. I did not have access to music streaming until, you know, several years later when music streaming became a thing. You know, back in the 90s, you really had to, like, pick and choose what you were going to listen to. When you have a limited budget and you're constrained by physical media... You make choices. This did not make the cut. Later, when I did have access to it, I didn't listen to it because I was under the mistaken impression for a long, long time that Jim Steinman and Meatloaf only collaborated on the Bad Out of Hell albums. And if you've heard one Meatloaf album without Jim Steinman, you know not to listen really to any of the others. <laughs> this, is, this is a, yeah.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So, gotcha. And so the, when did you find out that this was a collaboration, recently?
2: No. Which leads me to my third reason. Okay. So I once had a Shakespeare professor.
0: <laughs> this feels like the beginning of a joke.
2: A Shakespeare professor.
1: Don't, don't we all?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of us do. I mean, at, at Tennessee, there were three of them. So I'm just going to talk about the one that I had. And so I asked him one time, I said to him, this is where all my Canadian jokes come from, by the way. Uh, this was, this was the first like Canadian person I'd interacted with for a long period of time, and so like I, I'm I'm sorry, guys. It's it it man, he was a trip. Anyway, I asked him, "Have you really read all of Shakespeare's plays?" You know, typical undergrad question, and he said, "No." I said, "Oh yeah." How many of you not read? He said, only one. I haven't read King John. I said, Why have you not read King John? Because after I've read King John, I've read them all. And he says, it's, there's, it's nice to know that in the future, on some rainy day, I can curl up and read a Shakespeare play I've never read before. Which, the longer life goes on, the more I realize that's really cool. It's really cool to be able to say, There's still a Meatloaf and Jim Steinman album, for example, out there that I haven't listened to yet, except now I've listened to it. However, they did do one more right before they both died, so I'm not finished yet. But that's why I had not, until last week, listened to Dead Ringer.
0: This is how I feel about Octavia Butler, because I don't want to read all of it.
2: That is such a
3: foreign experience to me. (laughs)
1: Like...
3: If there's something that I might like out there, I want to experience it. Now, to be fair, this entire point of the podcast is because there's a lot of stuff out there that I might like.
2: Yeah, didn't you come up with this?
1: Hey, wasn't this wasn't your this idea? idea, idea.
3: But I don't, I don't purposely hold off on some idea like, uh yes, I, I want, I want to save this for for a rainy day some some so I will, uh, you know, not have completed it. No, 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 no. I want to complete things. Why
0: did your voice become a a French accent
2: for
3: (laughs) a
0: little while there? (laughs) 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 Jarrett, how do you feel about this method of encountering pop culture? Are there any people that you are saving something because you don't want to have read all of it or seen all of it or listened to all of it? Or are you on Andy's side?
1: Uh, No, but I'm wondering, is this a stealth promo for Tessa Watches Lost? Well, it's not anymore. (laughs)
2: It's, it's not, not stealth anymore, here. it's just straight up a... Listen to Tessa Watches sorry, Lost sorry. new episodes every <laughs> Thursday. Except when we do Sam Watches Star Trek.
1: Um, But no, I yeah, that's not something that I do partially... I'm more of on Andy's side of things of... Especially if I get obsessed with someone, I will sometimes, to a fault, uh, digest their entire catalog if I can. But don't
0: you I, feel, like, sad...
1: After. no no like a no because i obsessively re-watch things and stuff like that so hey uh, hey tessa what's sadder having experienced it or
3: having died not having experienced something that could have been truthfully uh life-changing and meaningful to you for the last 10 minutes that you were alive this is
2: this is a trick question
0: <laughs> well in that There's tons of things I should just like quit my job and just experience pop culture all of the time.
2: I like your caveat at the end because (laughs) with like the 10 minutes before you die, because yeah, afterward it doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But
3: you have a good chance of having something but from Octavia Butler that is meaningful to you, that is out there and is
2: something you might like. All right, two things as usual one. as we discussed last week, as a generation Xer, I don't need you on my side. <laughs> I don't need well, you I'm usually okay? not. So and two
1: <laughs> Right.
2: So it doesn't matter. This doesn't hurt my feelings. Two and if it did, I certainly wouldn't tell you.
0: That yeah, that is that, real Gen that's, Xer that's what We talked about yeah, last week, yeah. yeah.
2: And and two, so Jim Steinman died last year. Meatloaf died this year. There will never be another Jim's Diamond and Meatloaf collaboration. I, however, you know, last week was able to listen to a new to me collaboration. They're dead. It's never going to happen again. But I was able to have something new to me. And, you know, we've talked about it. We talked about a few weeks ago, like how we process these celebrity deaths and why they matter. This one mattered. But I had something for that. If you've exhausted all the possibilities, you have nothing. What you're saying is you should specifically keep
3: someone's work away from you so you can experience it and mourn them when they die instead of just doing what Jarrett does and re-experiences it.
2: Well, given the way the planet's going, it's not going to be delayed gratification for very much longer. So,
0: All right. It is what it let is. is. Let's, let's bring this back to the music then, now that we've gotten all the way to that point. Was this album good? Was it yeah. worth the wait, the so, delayed gratification?
2: First of all, I'm holding this up because podcasting is a visual medium. I not only did not listen to this album for well over a decade, I've had it on vinyl. Like this, I had I was able B plus grade vintage vinyl, just cleaned, ready, never listened to it. So I have liner notes in my hand. It's a good time. You're not going to be surprised if I tell you this album's not that good, right?
0: Right, yeah. Like,
2: I mean, this is not a surprise, right? Really fun from reading. The, the best part was really reading the liner notes. Max Weinberg is the drummer for the entire album. And when I went back and looked it up, there is a connection between Jim Steinman Meatloaf and uh, the E Street Band. Much of this album was actually recorded in New Jersey. It's been kind of interesting, I thought. Share is on the song "Dead Ringer for Love." There's a duet with Share on this album, and it's it's fun. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run you through some things real fast. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a there's the 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 requisite required vehicular metaphor of a song, "Peel Out," followed by the song "I'm Gonna Love Her for Both of Us." I'll let her shine like a jewel in the crown of a holy sun. You turned her into a ghost, but she'll be burning when the night is done.
0: Man, Gen Xers really do yeah. like sincerity, don't
2: they? It's 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 well, I mean, I like this. Of course, these are these are boomers. This takes uh, more than you deserve, but there's a song on the song called "I'll Kill You If You Don't Come Back." <laughs> I'll kill you if I don't if you don't come back.
0: <laughs> what is this? Like some Browning? You, BS? Yeah.
2: You gave me nothing at all. Now let me give it to you. You taught me how to be cruel. Now let me try it on you. Wow. Yeah.
0: It's, it sounds like Jim Steinman and Meatloaf were yeah. going through some stuff.
2: Yeah. Read 'em and weep. Dead Ringer for love. I mean, that's a great song. That's the song to listen to clearly. The last song on here is called Everything is Permitted. And I'm like, is this the theme song for Assassin's Creed? Is Jim Steinman a time traveler? <laughs> it's a terrible song. There is always just one absolutely piece of trash song on every Meatloaf Jim Steinman collaboration, and this is that. It's fine. It's fine. It's it's it is every. If I gave if I made a list of all the things I expected this album to have on it, I would check off literally everything on the list. But it is nowhere near as good. As Bad Out of Hell. Now, somebody like Lozzy, who has said this is like a top five meatloaf thing, probably has some sort of, I would imagine, some sort of younger person connection to this. Whereas I have none of that. Right? And I'll defend fair. Bad Out of Hell Part right. 2 because, right. right, yeah.
0: Is it the same style of music?
2: Yes. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah. that's what I want sure. to know. For yeah. sure. For sure. So... How lo- wait? I, I have been talking. I don't know how much you've cut this down. I've been talking about Meatloaf for over 20 minutes, which is just to say that this was a great experience because it existed. The album itself is meh.
0: <laughs> it was good because it existed, but the album itself was meh. Right. Okay. Right. So, so, you would so, tell- so,
2: so, so to close, yeah, it was a Meatloaf album I had never heard. It was a way to celebrate, to memorialize him. The album itself wasn't great, so what I'm going to say to you is don't be sad, because two out of three ain't bad.
0: (laughs) All right. That's the end of the podcast, (laughs) y'all. That's it. Bye, everybody. That's it. Let's
3: continue on the New Metal Rundown and go to segment two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, before we talk about your monkey for this week, Jarrett, you... Told me via Discord message that since the last time you have been on this podcast, you've actually abandoned a list, which is not something that we've talked about all that much on this show, which is ostensibly about list making and pop culture productivity. Tell us about that experience. Why did you abandon the list and how did that go for you?
1: I don't remember if I said last time, but the primary list I was working off of was one I had started. And continued to add on to and check off of stuff off of, and had subheadings and whatnot in the app Google Keep, which is mainly a phone app. You can access those notes on- online too. We don't buzz
3: market uh, Apple products here on-, on this podcast.
1: Well, good thing it's not an Apple product. You just said hey, Apple Keep. Google Keep. <laughs> Google, no, Google Keep. Keep. Uh, Google.
3: I'm pretty certain that uh, Apple has hijacked my earphones,
2: and uh I was going to say Andy is a <laughs> so, <laughs> Android because he has a find and replace script. <laughs> He's actually been trying to say Google this whole time.
0: All right, Google keeps, Jarrett.
1: Which is not a method I would recommend for keeping a list that complicated in like multiple pages, and and again, the problem was that it went from just being like a list of movies to, I just want to watch these movies into like, well, here's a category for movies I want to watch with my partner. Here's a category for just horror movies. And and it was just not, it had got it unwieldy. Let's say that. And I still have multiple lists. I, I've got even more obsessive about planning for uh, my podcast with, recent and past guests, Melissa, but the list that I'm actually working off of, I'm a real champion of the, uh, you know, thing, better things are created with, through limitations, like working within limitations. So my list is a, is a literal small sheet of of notepad paper. I (laughs) love it. So that I cannot expand and, I don't know I'm again holding up things for the visual medium of podcasting but <laughs> I don't know if you guys can tell that like certain things are in different handwriting because I've added like between cuz I kind of spaced out the original list not intentionally and so I've been adding things in between other things but it's I haven't used the back yet So I'm still limiting myself in some form and I have checked some things off of it, but I've added more things though, which is normal for me.
0: What have you been prioritizing for this limited list?
1: I haven't really, uh, other than, so when I made the list originally, I was kind of going off the same, sort of the same thing we were just talking about, which is movies by directors that I like, but who I haven't seen all of their films. Um, and then I didn't keep with that theme uh, or at least something kind of in that sort of line, like maybe a movie in a sub genre that I love that I haven't watched yet or a movie connected to a movie I love, something like that. I haven't kept with that. I've added some other things, but that was the original theme of the list.
0: Gotcha. And was your monkey for this week on the small list?
1: Well, it was after... You said, do you want to come on the show and talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> I keep this list by my remotes, so I don't get option paralysis. Are we not going to talk about what happens to us when we abandon and edit our lists?
0: Oh, is, do you want to talk about this, Andy? Do you, have you ever abandoned or Dear edited God, a no. list? <laughs> See, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. You, You, Sam?
2: I have an Excel spreadsheet, probably. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In the in the in the recesses of a hard drive that has like a Hitchcock list and some other classic film director lists and actors and stuff. So yeah, it's safe to say it's abandoned.
0: I'm Team Chaos, as we all know. So. My whole method is abandoning lists. I still (laughs) find lists that I've left around my house that have been there for a while. I find lists that are in Evernote. I find lists that are in random Google Docs. So, you know, abandoning things is part of my process. (laughs) I understand that's not everybody's process. But Jarrett, why don't you tell us about your monkey for this week?
1: All right, so I watched a... This term is kind of dated, but I think it's appropriate here. A web series adapted from a podcast that is a... Uh, I'm trying to think of the term, um, but it, it's in the, the... The original podcast is in the format of an investigative podcast, but it's not... It's fiction. It's a fictional podcast. But in it's in it the format... Exist. It's presented as a nonfiction. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. The show kind of doesn't exist. <laughs> the podcast pretty much does, but they're not making new episodes. It's a radio show. So yeah, yeah, right. And and the the T V show actually makes it into a radio show specifically. They don't even I don't think they even use the word podcast on the show, but we're talking about Lime town, as in the fruit, although it's actually within, as in the stone, as in limestone, not the fruit. Wait, you can't eat limestone.
3: I need to go to a doctor right now.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's what's wrong with you. <laughs> this li- that's this your key voice limestone Lacroix are. that I've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. Co- that's why yours has that cola taste. You were talking about last week. <laughs> Because it's made from (laughs) rocks.
0: (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit about what Limetown, the web series, is about.
1: So, like I said, it was originally a podcast. It was uh, picked up to be adapted into a TV show. And I talked about this a little bit on our podcast when it was first announced or released or something because and i don't know if it was the first one but it was the first and only thing that i knew of that was on facebook watch which i kind of thought didn't exist anymore but i guess it still does
0: who knows what's going on with facebook anymore yeah. isn't it called like meta watch that's now no, i, don't, I don't, know. don't even
3: know <laughs> <laughs> the company that owns facebook is called meta that, that yes. that's that's all that's all it is
2: one of these days I'm going to look and sorry for your loss is going to be up to like season 27 or I know. something, uh, which like poor Elizabeth Olsen has so much to be sad for.
0: And Kelly Marie Tran.
1: Oh yeah. She's well, she's not too. sad right? in the show.
0: That's true. So did you listen to the podcast before you watched the show?
1: I did. I did. I don't remember if I finished it because season two... I wouldn't necessarily say it was not as good, but like it kind of like refocused and I just wasn't as interested. So I don't remember if I actually finished it, but I did listen, definitely listen to all of season one. Oh, uh, could, let, let's go on a little sidebar here because Limetown started
3: out great. Then pigs were mentioned and it just, just plummeted, uh, in quality, <laughs> uh, in, in in suspension of disbelief, in anything fun. It is the podcast that proved the rule to me that uh, any fictional podcast that goes beyond season one will never be able to continue itself. And I listen to a lot
1: of uh, fiction podcasts. Well, then this is relevant because watching this adaptation was what prompted me to finally check out Limetown. Did you listen to Archive 81? No, no, I did not. Because that's the podcast I would say gets better with every season. Partially because it like changes characters, it changes focus, and in many ways, I would say sometimes changes genre. All right, I
3: have I have my list of fictional podcasts that I've listened to <laughs> in Google Keep. Uh, no, this is just in Pocket <laughs> Casts. Okay. I have Dexter Guff is smarter than you, which was wonderful. Definitely give that a listen. If you want a fake um, fake self-help guru trying to keep his life together via his self-help show. I have A Very Fatal Murder, which is also wonderful. It was done by The Onion.
1: I think I did listen to part of that, maybe. Uh,
3: let's see here. I have The Horror of Dolores Roach, which was pretty good, pretty high... Um. High concept. I have the black tapes, which, oh, man, jumped the shark so hard.
1: I couldn't get into that. It was a little too, uh, the voice acting was too amateurish for me.
3: Well, it it was uh, very amateurish uh, when it started. I have the carrier, which also jumped the shark. I have the control group, which also jumped the shark. I have the white vault, which also jumped the shark. So, yeah, we've got a lot of Jumping the Shark here. Uh, And I have a few others. Did you listen
1: to Homecoming?
3: I did not, but I am super interested in anything Sam Esmail does. and
1: I think that's probably the only example of the podcast is solid throughout, and I would say the TV show is solid throughout. It's just always fun to get to the point in a
3: fiction podcast where it's like, oh, no, they're coming at us with guns. (laughs) Fully work is is really bad in most of those.
0: So how did transitioning this material from the podcast to the TV show work for you, Jarrett? uh,
1: So I listened to the podcast before this was even announced, and the TV show is already a couple years old, so there was quite a gap. Between my listening to it and watching it, I did remember, you know, as the show went on, I'm like, okay, yeah, I remember that plot point. I remember how that was on the show, but I didn't, I don't have a like a, I'm not precious about Limetown as a podcast. It was just something I listened to and enjoyed, but didn't really, you know, latch on to it personally.
0: If it's not, so we have a... Sam and I haven't listened to a lot of fiction podcasts. That's just not really like something that we've ever really gotten into. But we did really enjoy Only Murders in the Building. So what?
2: I mean, I've is this listened to Homecoming.
0: Of, of, I, I, yeah, you and have seen the first season. You have so, um, good times. Yeah, I guess you have. I really haven't. But Jarrett, how did was this like a Only Murders in the Building style show? Because it kind of sounds like if it's based on like true crime nonfiction podcast that it kind of would have that bent to it? Or is it something different?
1: Well, it does, I would say, in a visual way in the sense that either I think both people who don't know anything about audio production and people who do will both get distracted by visual elements of the show much like so only murders in the building uses the visual aspect of audio production for comic for comedic value
0: martin short running around with that boom mic is one of my favorite visual gags of right the show. well
1: and just the sheer amount of equipment that he buys <laughs> Limetown is smart in that it's more consistent in the equipment she uses. Like she's pretty much always using the same zoom recorder. It's a little, especially towards the end, it gets a little soft on like specifics. But for example, I can't think of many other TV shows. I can think of a, of a, movie or two that i love partially for this reason but i can't think of many things that have scenes of people editing audio and like that editing of audio being a plot point and a a cliffhanger and a plot point and the point of conflict that leads to i don't i don't don't know how far to go with spoilers but it leads to a death at least one death
0: that's hilarious, but also kind of fascinating because you're right. I don't think that a lot of television writers necessarily know how a podcast gets made because a lot of times they'll treat it like it's a live show that you just record things and then you...
2: Right. This is is brought to you by the same TV writers who have never been a teacher.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think because a lot of people who... Even if they do make their own podcast, because it seems like everybody makes podcasts now, a lot of people who are like higher level TV writers or something like that, they have editors, so they don't necessarily do that work on their own.
3: And this comment brought to you by the newest season of Dexter, which while beautiful, also has a true crime podcast that is also a uh, a super invest, super hardcore investigative podcast while being a uh, historic serial killer podcast at the same time.
0: Yeah, so I'm not sure they always understand how podcasts work on shows. (laughs) So, Jarrett, what did you think about Limetown as a show?
1: It's fine. I don't think I can recommend it other than for two things. One is that Jessica Biel has kind of, like, made a little second act for herself, starring in one season of, like, really dramatic tv shows um the first one was she's one of the protagonists in the she's the she's the character at the center of the first season of the center which i think airs on usa or something but it's on netflix i think it's still on netflix Um, which she has said in interviews was like her most challenging performance at that point and her Her character in this show shares some DNA with that character, I think. You know, it's someone who's dealing with trauma and trying to investigate the past, although in very different ways.
0: Is she the main podcaster?
1: Right. She's the star. I mean, she is the center of the story. They they have some flashbacks. Um, to the thing that she's investigating limetown Um, but other than that there's maybe only one or two scenes that she's not in
0: so what is she investigating
1: okay so the premise is and this is not really a spoiler because this is like how the both the podcast and the tv show begin is that this manufactured community that is kind of mysterious and why it existed who started it and stuff but it's sort of an analog for a cult in a way a techno cult maybe if you will i always thought of it more akin to the manhattan project (laughs) (laughs) they they all disappear and the general public doesn't know what happened to them so it's the unraveling of that mystery and that's true again true about the podcast and the show
0: Alright, so it's kind of like a Roanoke mystery, except for Right. Roanoke isn't actually a mystery, but in popular consciousness it's a mystery. So yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. really interesting actually. So well acted, well paced.
1: Well, yeah, especially at least for Jessica Beale, I think her performance is good. And most of the other performances are fine too. Some of the performances I think are hurt by just poor writing for the character that's itself. Fair. It's kind of a, it turns into a, and I don't, if you guys know any other examples of this, I would be, be curious, but it kind of turns into a shitty guy of the week show where it's like whoever she's interviewing, she interviews like one person per episode. And that person is like, it's a basically about finding out how they're shitty. Like
0: sort of monster of the week. It's monster of the week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But and sometimes it's people she works with, but usually it's people that she is interviewing Um, all the way up until the final scene of the show is like basically based around that premise. Like here's the big bad, the person that she's interviewing. And then also I, I do think the directing overall is strong. Um, Although I think this may be a director who's good at visual things and those aspects of storytelling, but maybe not so much. Good at getting performances out of people. Mm, mm-hmm. I heard recently that you know, you know, a director is good if they get perf- good performances out of everyone in the cast. So maybe they're not good at that, but they're also a young director. So, but this is directed by Rebecca Thomas. Appropriately, she had a Quibi show <laughs> that exists oh. on the Roku. The Roku Network now, which, by the way, Limetown is on Peacock. That's also why I watched it, because I keep having Peacock subscription for random things. <laughs> and I re- I real, it's popped up on a list on there or something. And I'm like, oh, now that I don't have to try to figure out how to watch this on Facebook, I'll actually watch this show.
0: Accessibility does change your lists.
1: Yes, yes. But she did the movie Electric Children, which is also about a cult, so I think maybe that's part of the reason she was picked for this, or maybe why she was interested in it, I don't know.
0: Was Quibi a cult? First. Food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
1: in much in the same way, it's, it's interesting, you know, again, you guys know this, I don't know if listeners know or care, but one of the primary things that interests me in popular media to the extent that if I ever got up enough interest to get my doctorate, my dissertation would probably be about metacinema. Mm-hmm. Um, you could certainly read Limetown, the TV show as a metacinematic symbol for investigating a failed, movie, or a failed TV show, or a failed short-form content network. (laughs) (laughs) Much in the same way the the characters of Limetown who go missing show up in weird places under assumed names, not really wanting attention, that also happened to all of the shows that were on Quibi and some of the ones that were on Facebook Watch, I guess.
0: So would you recommend this to any of our listeners or would you recommend that they go listen to the podcast? Should they skip the podcast and only watch the show?
1: If you're, if you're interested specifically in Limetown based on the synopsis, definitely start with the podcast unless you're just, you know, not a podcast person or obviously you're a podcast person. You're listening to this. If you're not a narrative (laughs) podcast person fictionalized narrative podcasting, audio dramas, if you will, then maybe skip that. I do think if that's a world you're interested in, Homecoming is a good place to start. Homecoming in every way is a better example of Limetown. So I would say if, if you're interested in that part of it, start with Homecoming, both the podcast and the show. If you're interested in Jessica Beale and you haven't watched The Center yet, watch that because I think that's a much more that shows is deeper and more well-written and more well-crafted. I think overall there's just more there than, than with limetown. But if you're interested in this director, I haven't seen electric children yet. So maybe this is good, but if you're just looking for more things that can potentially be read as Metafiction, then, you know, add this to your list at some point. <laughs> it's certainly not the worst podcast adaptation I've watched in 2022.
0: Or you've watched a bad podcast adaptation already in February?
1: <laughs> yeah, we talked about Archive 81 on our podcast, uh, which is, it's not bad, but I didn't like it.
0: All right. So that's Wild Pretty Things, if you're interested in, in that discussion.
1: Yep. Jarrett
2: mentioned our second weekly podcast earlier, the logline for which is where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. So the next segment of today's podcast, I think would qualify as a bonus episode because Tessa is here to talk about a show I convinced her to watch.
0: Yeah, so AP Bio falls into this weird category of shows that Sam started watching first and then kept trying to convince me to watch them. I had reservations about the show, which I'll talk about here in a minute, but then when I first I eventually started watching it, I was like, oh, why wasn't I watching this the whole time? So that's that is the type of show that this is.
3: Despite me also trying to get you to watch it, let's
2: let's be clear here.
0: Yes, I do vaguely remember that you have also tried to get me to watch AP Bio. That is correct.
2: All right. So I I don't know how niche this show is. I imagine kind of to a lot somewhere on that spectrum. So what is the premise of the show? And I think maybe did you have some trepidation or problems with the premise of the show initially?
0: Yeah. So the basic premise of the show is at least the way it's explained in the first season is that Dr. Jack Griffin, who's played by Glenn Howerton, who most people know from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he is a Harvard philosophy professor who doesn't make tenure and basically has a meltdown and is fired from Harvard. And so he returns to his hometown in the middle of nowhere and gets a job teaching...
2: For the purposes of this premise description nowhere is ohio yeah
0: nowhere is ohio toledo ohio
2: is not nowhere but
3: to
0: him it's nowhere he does not have a great opinion of toledo ohio but he returns to toledo ohio he's living in his mother's house and he gets a job teaching ap bio from his friend a principal at a local high school ralph durbin who's played by Patton oswald and Basically, he just sees this as a holding pattern to teach one class until he can figure out how to get his job back at Harvard or to get like a tenure track job at another facility. That's the basic premise of this show. The reason I was very hesitant to watch this originally is that I am not a It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan. I haven't watched a lot of it, but what I have seen, I just don't find that funny. I know that that might like shock some people. Like, if it's your brand of humor, cool. Like, I'm glad you love that show. I just, for some reason, there's just something about it that I just don't... I recognize all the actors are really good at what they're doing. It's just not really my brand of humor. And Glenn Howerton's character, especially on that, is very strange to me. And that is basically what his character is in this. He's playing... A very similar character, but in this other show, which is about an AP bio teacher.
2: Right. And I I just want to specify for the record that there's no such thing as a teacher who teaches one AP class. There are, in fact, two types of AP teachers. Type one, which is what I was, was you get an AP class and then you must pay for your sins the rest of the day. Or two, the chosen one who teaches all the fun AP classes. But, but both are full-time people. This is, this is not based in reality. Uh,
0: well, nothing about this show is based in reality right. because we're also so, supposed to believe that all four seasons of the show happen over the course of one semester.
2: Right. So <laughs> to go a little bit more into that, what makes this show different than any show you know, that asks you know, an actor to do something you know, like Glenn Howerton's doing, which you just said you don't like, Or, you know, something else about, you know, the comedy in a high school, which actually we have another good example of recently with Abbott Elementary. But for everyone that succeeds, you have 17 that don't, right?
0: Right. Well, and we've seen this before, right? We've seen Bad Teacher, which has, you know, kind of a similar vibe of somebody who comes in and who just like... is actively antagonistic towards the students. We have School of Rock, which is kind of has a similar concept of someone who doesn't understand why they're there and doesn't really care about what Uh, they're doing until they do care about what they're doing.
2: Is Bad Teacher the one with Jason Segel? Yes. I do want to point out that when the preview for that movie came up, I had kids at school came in and said, we've had that conversation where we've screamed at each other about Michael Jordan and Kobe and LeBron. And I'm like, yeah, we have. You're still wrong.
1: (laughs)
0: So again like
1: this premise that's the is that the Cameron Diaz movie or is that a? yeah that's
0: Cameron Diaz yeah again the premise of it also kind of turned me off because I've never taught high school I've only taught at a collegiate level so I didn't think I was going to get some of the satire that's going on of high school teaching I didn't really connect with Glenn Howerton and his other show and I thought this premise had been done before and so I wasn't really sure where they were going to go with it so that was kind of why it took me a while to get into this
3: okay question tessa i i just i i think this also you were homeschooled correct
0: yes i also didn't go to a traditional high school
3: because because most people go through at least one version of high school
0: i did go through a version of high school i did have classes that i went to i wasn't completely homeschooled in high school but i did go to a traditional high school andy
2: Do you know what homeschooling
0: is?
2: (laughs) No. Why would I? I went to public school. So, right, public school, so therefore you don't know anything. I got it. Move on. All right, great.
0: (laughs) So I was pleasantly surprised to find that I actually really enjoyed the show, despite all of my initial reservations going into it.
2: Were you like me, did you like the show more as time went on?
0: Yes. This show does have a first season problem.
2: What's that problem? So
0: the first season problem is that it leans a little too hard into its premise for the first, at least the first few episodes. And the the reviews of the first season of the show were a lot more mixed than the subsequent seasons. So it leans a little bit too hard into this, like, he's a bad teacher, and he doesn't care about them. And he's trying to get revenge on his ex-girlfriend and 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 Harvard. And he's sort of using these kids as, like, ways to bounce off these ideas. Like, he tells them on the very first day of school that he's not going to teach them biology. And that he he actually sees it as a way to, like, basically nap through class, which really infuriates some of the students, because as we know, AP tends to be this place where you get some overachievers. And so that, like, really irritates them a lot. The problem is, is that I fundamentally don't care about the Harvard storyline and I don't care about the ex girlfriend storyline. Fortunately, those two things are abandoned, like, pretty early on. So once you get past that, it becomes a lot more interesting as a show when he actually becomes invested in his life in Toledo.
2: So, what does that look like? What are your favorite parts of this show? And to clarify, I know this, but you know, for funsies, we are talking about a show you have finished watching yes. the entire run of.
0: I have seen all four seasons of the show. So it was so canceled. Um, so that, that's it. That's all there is, is four, four seasons. So the best part of the show are the students, which I didn't think was actually going to be a thing. And I was worried after watching the first episode that they were going to be a bunch of stereotypes of students, a bunch of tropes. Because you kind of have like the cool kid who's a bully and you have a bunch of nerds and you have the like overachieving Indian kid and like all of these different things. But what's really great about this show is that these students get their characters built up and they become more complex and more interesting and honestly hilarious. These actors are doing some of their best character comedy work in this and there's actually not a lot of conflict between the students after the first couple of episodes because there's this great moment, like I think it's the third or fourth episode where they are sort of trapped in a basement together and they resolve all of their differences, like all of their clique differences and all of their like interpersonal conflicts and become friends. Their friendship is very sweet and sincere and they... Then sort of develop that as the series goes on. And so you get a lot of really good comedy work from them. I'll just read you a couple of the student, the, stud- the recurring students who are my favorite. You get Aparna Brielle as Sarika Sakar, who is like an overachieving teacher's pet who just like is furious with Jack the entire run of the show because she really wants to learn biology. She's constantly trying to trick him into teaching them biology. And he throws her textbook out of the window at one point. It's really, really quite great. Nick Pine as Marcus Kasparuk, who is the student council president who's in this class, and he's Jack's least favorite student. And a lot of the jokes around him are him saying something, like giving him an idea, and then Jack telling him to shut up. There's my personal favorite, Allison Ashley Arm as Heather Wilmore, who. You think at first she's, like, this mousy, shy girl who sits in the corner. She's got these giant, like, Coke bottle glasses. But the more you find out about her, the funnier she is because she's, like, a true weirdo and in the best way. And she also goes all in on Jack as a character. So literally anytime Jack comes up with a harebrained scheme to get revenge— She's like, I got your back, boss. She starts calling him boss. And it's just like a very great ongoing and, joke. And
2: who is she in love with?
0: And she's in love with Dan Decker, who is the cool kid, who also goes all in on Jack at some point, um, because he's like constantly got Jack's back whenever something like physical happens. Uh, it's it's really, really great. There's also a character. Oh, God, what is her name? I'm trying to find the actress's Grace? name on my list. Are we list. talking about yeah, Grace? Grace? We're going to talk about Grace. So, Grace is a character who may or may not be possessed by
2: a. I think a she's either possessed by or is possessing the girl in the closet. Yeah,
0: I don't know if she's yeah. being possessed by the girl in the closet or she's possessing the girl in the closet. I but think it's
2: the second one. She has
0: really big supernatural, like horror energy vibes, but it exists in the background. So, it never takes over the narrative of the show. It's just like she is. Like, clearly something if, terrible is going Olivia on If Olivia Rodrigo's
2: crazy eyes were a fully fleshed out character on a TV show, Yes. that's the that person. That would be
0: Grace. Yeah. yeah. So there's just some really great character work. And again, like, Jack is, is funny, but he's almost not the draw of this show. He's just sort of, when he as a character becomes the most normal person in the school, that's when the show becomes really, really fun. There's also Patton Oswalt, who I wasn't expecting a lot out of. I do like Patton Oswalt, but you know, he's Patton Oswald. He just plays himself in like most of the movies or television that I've seen him in, but he actually does really well as Ralph Durbin. I know that Andy connects with his character because a big part of his characterization is that he was in a ska band in the 90s. So there you go. That's what Andy's initial draw.
3: Versus being in a ska band in the... Uh- in the early twenty tens.
0: There's also Apollo Pell plays Helen DeMarcus, who is his secretary, who's also perhaps like his lesbian love of his life. Like <laughs> they like love each other so much. And like the the shenanigans they get into in the front office are great. There's also a set of teachers, uh, Mary Michelle and uh Steph, who are they go on their own like side quests They're all the time. They're also
2: on the show.
0: They're also on the show. They're not my favorite, but They're I usually do enjoy the B them. Story. Yeah, they're usually the B story, and I do enjoy them. And it's really fun when they like actually intersect with Jack's story as well. Because part of this thing, too, is Jack sort of realizing that he needs friends. And part of it is creating this community within his class. But the other part of it is creating this community with his adult peers as well. And they may not learn a lot of biology, but they learn a lot about life. Oh, God. So it's So it's a great show. I highly recommend it, especially if you're into character-based comedy. Or if you're just into things that start out really bizarre, get more bizarre, and then get really sweet at the end.
2: This television show. So AP Bio wins the Good Place Memorial Award, (laughs) previous winners of which are Brooklyn Nine-Nine for TV show I forced you to watch that you were happy to have done. Yeah. I also think I have an undefeated record, too. I don't think I've ever forced you to watch a show you haven't liked.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's a show that you actually said, I recommend this and I've been watching it, that you should watch it too, that I haven't liked. Including I've, liked Lost. Plenty of, I've disliked plenty of shows we've started together, Right. but not one that you're like, this is really good and you would like it.
2: And, and a quick shout out as well to Abbott Elementary that, yes. that may be taking AP Bio's crown in a more... Relevant, popular, important way. Yeah,
0: so I do really love Abbott Elementary, which we've been watching recently. It is a lot more sincere and a lot more. It's trying to engage with actual problems in school, like public schools. than AP bio is AP bio is not what I would call a straight up satire. Like it's not really trying to say anything about public schools. It's just sort of using a really interesting version of this as a setting. I haven't even gotten through all of the great student names. Best part of the whole show though, is whenever he comes in the classroom and throws his apple, which inevitably misses the, uh, the trash can and says, settle down and start to shut up. So like that is, that is one of my favorite gags in the show. So highly recommend AP bio. If you are into anything that I just said
1: real quick, I wanted to add that AP bio is one of those shows like community that yeah. People watching it in the future, I assume on Peacock is or in or VOD are going to be a little bit thrown off by a shift that happens between a couple seasons. Well, community I'm thinking about how when they went to YouTube and like or not YouTube, sorry, Yahoo and half like half the cast left and they had to get uh, like half replace half of the cast and change kind of change what the show was about which is sort of normal for that show but of course there's a season without Dan Harmon and stuff like that too and but AP Bio of course got canceled by NBC and then picked up by Peacock
0: a mid-season replacement in 2018 and then it got canceled and then
1: uncanceled
0: by
2: the same corporate overlords
0: yeah There is a shift between seasons where some of the original members of the class get replaced, but most of the ones that I think people know, like would recognize, are they stay
2: right. And the there's a tonal shift, but the episode count goes down. The first two seasons have many more episodes. The seasons three and four only have eight episodes. They also get a lot wackier not unlike community but I think in a a good way I think that the latter seasons of AP bio do some things that the first two couldn't whereas I don't know man those last have... the, that last season or two of community is not bad it's not gas leak quality but the glory days were behind them. oh
3: I am I am of the opinion that season six of community is uh, way better than pretty much all of it.
0: When, once they weren't so fixated on the premise, I feel like they did, they became a lot better of a show. All right, Andy, what did you do this week? I, I honestly have no idea what you did this week because you just wrote it down right before we started wait, wait, recording.
2: Wait. It's an anime or an indie horror movie.
0: Ooh. Is it? Is it? No, I think it's a video game.
2: Is it? What is it?
0: Okay.
3: We're playing the classic the, the classic game of anime or indie horror
2: movie. I'm almost always right when we play this game. <laughs> I mean, solo leveling, which is what you have in the notes, feels more like an anime title to me. Like, if it's if 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 it's one of the two, that's what it is.
3: Uh, solo leveling is a manhwa.
0: What's a manhwa?
3: It is a Korean comic. Ooh, very close.
0: You were very close. Very mm. close.
3: Anyway, so what is it? Solo leveling is a Korean comic. And by the way, manhwa are mostly what makes them separate and different from other things that might be like uh, the Japanese manga or uh, I forgot the the word for the Chinese uh, version of these it's designed to be read on phones so it's designed to for you just to scroll down to read instead of turning pages uh, so everything f- is designed to flow that way and it's it's pretty important but uh, solo leveling is a a manhwa where the, the premise is that Sung Jung Lu, who is living in Seoul and in this version of our world, uh, portals opened up and monsters came out of them and humans were about one in a uh, hundred humans or one in a thousand humans were given abilities to fight them video game style and they're called hunters. In this world, the Hunters Guild's go go into these portals when they open up shut them down so monsters can't come out and kill people that is uh that is the basic premise of solo leveling anyway the the thing about solo leveling the the twist is uh all these you know people get their the standard superpowers or whatever but whatever you get when you uh, what they call awaken you know get your your powers uh you never get stronger than that so you are stuck at that at that uh, at that strength level. So you have like you know super Superman going around. Like you have the entire range of um, of uh, skills and abilities, and really it it's video game rules. But you never get stronger. And the main character is known as the weakest because he is literally the weakest per person who still doesn't technically qualify as being a normal human.
0: So it's kind of like a reverse One Punch Man.
3: Yeah, yeah. Except, uh, then it becomes One Punch Man when he gets the, when he unlocks his special ability after an amazingly well done, um, dungeon crawl gone wrong, where he gets the ability to level up. Now, okay, keep that in mind. He gets the ability to literally level up like you do in a video game in a world where no one else can.
0: Would this fall under what Jarrett was talking about earlier in terms of like metafiction? Because it seems like. There's sort of aware of video game mechanics within a different genre.
3: He literally gets video game mechanics. Like he literally gets like an inventory. He gets skill sets. It it turns into a thing where there's a god called the administrator. And you you know, maybe this isn't a the real world. Maybe this is a a video game that people are playing and jacking into. You know, like it's kind kind of more like a free guy thing. Uh, anyway that's that's the story and uh it does the world building is is decent it does a good job of like being like oh what would happen if you know these literally like heroes came out of nowhere and um could protect countries from from damage you know how how would countries reward them how would the power structures change and then all of a sudden you've got this kid who literally can level up and as as such, he insists on doing everything by himself because he gets stronger and stronger the more experience he gets, hence the title, Solo uh, Leveling.
0: So, have you read a lot of Manwa?
3: Not really. Not okay. really. Um, I don't have many people telling me which ones are good and which ones are bad. This one is one of the the bigger, more f- popular ones, so that's why I read it. It's also finished, which is a plus for me.
0: Always a plus?
3: It's fine. Um, okay. it, it, it It is it is a power fantasy. There, there's really not much more to say than that. They. You know, it's the fantasy trope of like, oh, he's the strongest. People underestimate him. He gets stronger. He uses video game knowledge to get better. Um, it's it's a pretty standard trope in um, in Asian uh, storytelling and even YA fiction. I think.
0: I guess my question is like, how is this? Did it have any advantages over something like One Punch Man or any other comics that are like this? Or
3: no, One One Punch Man is 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 really good. This, this is just like a it's a condensation of like the pleasure you 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 know it just hits those pleasure sensors that you Mm. get from reading something like a power fantasy it 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 just check it just checks the list off you know and goes through keeps it's able to keep raising the stakes but also making it so oh yeah there there's no way that this character is gonna lose you know basically like mainlining that right like like it's mainlining those feelings um it's 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 like the doom version of that. It is just pure condensed pleasure.
1: The video game or the musical genre?
3: The video game. Musical genre. That no, no. I I don't even know what that musical genre is.
1: Well, I mean it's the same analogy because the musical genre is if you like distorted guitars loud music lots of low end and speakers like vibrating your skin cells, then doom is often mainlining that feeling sometimes with notes being held out for multiple seconds. So okay, yeah, th- that's why I asked. Cause the analogy fits either okay.
3: way. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's the thing. It's just, just the condensed version of this. So it's fine. It doesn't really have a satisfying ending, um, and I think it's really dumb. But that's me. Uh is kind of cool, just the the scrolling thing. Like like it it when things are done well, and you're using the layout correctly uh, in a way to like be creative. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, I've, I noticed that when I, because I've read a couple of, I didn't know they were called manhwa, but I've read a couple of Korean comics and the scrolling thing is really interesting. It, it is very different than any other comic layout I've experienced before. So I'm glad that you brought that up. All right, Andy, do you want to tell our listeners what next week's theme is?
3: Foreign films, foreign language films, foreign or international or whatever you want to call it, ones that aren't in English.
0: Fun, fun. I know I'm going to be doing Flea. Do you have a film picked out yet, Sam? Sam, Sam using the visual medium of podcasting just gave a, a big shrug.
2: Sam is going to wait to see if Netflix follows through on what it said it would do before I commit to anything.
0: Ah, I see. Okay. So,
3: so, so let me understand. You guys are just going to be doing the Oscar films and not, you know, Diving in and finally scratching that itch of the Bergman movie that you haven't been
2: watching yet. So Andy, one of the monkeys that Tessa and I have that comes around every year Mm -hmm. is watching more of the international film category, more of the documentary film category. You know, these are things that every year we want to do. So we are going to make our best attempt this year at getting the monkey off of our back of completing those prior to the Oscars,
3: but wouldn't you want to save one? You know, for that rainy day when you don't have a uh, when you for when the twenty
0: twenty two Oscars. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. You just want to save one of the twenty twenty
2: two Oscars.
0: It only applies to things that are your favorite things, Andy, <laughs> not to everything.
2: And by the way, I keep I keep saying I haven't seen Monsters Ball. I am clearly keeping. A big time Oscar buzzworthy movie from that one year. Monsters on Ball list. Is, was, is that the and I'm totally an going movie? to enjoy that movie.
0: week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where can people find us, Jarrett? Where can people find you online and in their headphones?
1: So I will say our upcoming Wild Pretty Things podcast actually ties into this well because we're doing Pan's Labyrinth. A Oscar film that is not in English that I've been trying to get Melissa to watch for a long time.
0: I feel like the unspoken theme of Wild Pretty Things is Jarrett tries to get Melissa to watch things.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of it um, because I'm much more proactive in the planning and stuff, but sometimes it's the other way around. And sometimes it's just things that we're both interested in. But yeah, that, that happens a lot. <laughs> but yeah, you can. So, Wild Pretty Things, you can just Google that or get on your podcast feed. Or you can go to my website, which is com. That's G R R noise. You can see whatever I'm doing, writing, whatever. And also just click on podcast and it'll take you to Wild Pretty Things.
0: All right. Where can people find you online, Andy?
3: You can find me online on Twitter at Andy Noted, and I have abandoned my letterbox, so I am a big fat liar about that previous segment too. So, Bam.
0: <laughs> and Sam, where can people find you online?
2: You can find me online on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris Nine, and my letterbox is currently being resuscitated, so we'll talk about that some other time.
0: <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Swela is spelled S W E H L A.
2: Her letterboxed is active and up to date.
0: That is correct. I, I have been keeping up with my letterboxed. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, where Nigel and I are reading through all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels, which is a broad I believe just came out when this episode airs. You can find that at Nanny's Book Club on Twitter and at Nanny Ogs Book Club on Instagram. You can also listen to Tessa Watches Lost, which we are completing hopefully the third season by the time the same week that this particular episode airs. Please send us your thoughts about the monkeys we've talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.